We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? Russell Westbrook is my sworn mortal enemy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he shoved your boy Joe Harris. Torian Prince didn't like it. Both ejected at the end of the game, but another disappointing performance from the Nets. They lost to Houston 98-108. Before we get into it, though, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack... This one started off really sour, but the Nets were able to come back in this. What was your initial thought just after the game and the performance we saw? The Nets just don't have the talent to compete against the Houston Rockets team. They're essentially playing the exact same way. And Mike D'Antoni, Coach Kenny, both you know former coaches, former assistant coaches in New York, they talk. You know they, they have a relationship, and it's essentially like you know we play the day, we play the way they play, they play the way we play. But the Rockets just have the talent and, and the NBA-ready talent to execute, despite the fact that we saw some good moments from, from our second units and some, some decent plays on, on James Harden every now and then and some, some big-time moments. The Nets just weren't good enough, and you know I think that it just shows that the Houston Rockets are a class above the, the Brooklyn Nets in terms of where they are as an NBA team in this league right now. Yeah, I mean, especially without the injuries, you could just sense that going down 20 in that first quarter, they wouldn't have enough offensive juice to get back in this game, especially with the way James Harden was playing. Give the Nets some credit for adjusting, but I still think they should have tried to force the ball out of Harden's hands a little bit more. I think they should have done it a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah I think we, we spoke about it a little bit. Every other team has had at least varying degrees of success. Like if, if I'm going off the top of my head, I would say more than 50% of the teams have been able to, to limit James Harden's effectiveness and scoring output. You know, it started with Denver and then the Clippers have done it. All these other teams, Atlanta, have done it. And, and, and it's worked to varying degrees. Obviously, 
it helps when the teammates hit their hit their shots. And, and tonight, Austin Rivers was hitting some some decent buckets. You know, Macklemore at times, PJ at times. But for the most part, most part, it was James Harden doing damage and Russell Westbrook essentially in that first sort of eight nine minutes. Yeah, I mean, Westbrook had that good first quarter, but then he had a stretch where he missed eleven straight shots and. He finished 11 to 28 from the field, including four turnovers. So I think if Westbrook's going to beat you, you'll live with it, long as it's not up on layups. But if he's, you know, beating you with jumpers and threes, you're okay. And, you know, they were able to get him to do a little bit of that in the second quarter, in the second half. But overall, James Harden getting 44, that's just an L on you because he's the factor in this game for the Rockets. You know, if he goes, you're probably going to lose, especially uh, with the offensive, especially with the offense you have right now. Yeah, I mean, Russell Westbrook, 11-28 for the field, 23 points. And Austin Rivers is the only guy, other guy to score more than nine points on the night. So I think that the, the Nets need to be a little bit better. You know, there were some nice highlight plays on the defensive end for Jared Allen, getting some blocks, making things a little bit tough for him. I did like um, some of the work that Luol Cavarro did on, on James Harden and at times Theo Pinson. You know, we chatted a little bit before the pod, Nick, that the second unit seemed to, to make things a, a little more physical and, and tricky for James Harden, whereas Garrett Temple, I think, didn't have one of his best nights it was probably one of his worst games of the season and including on the defensive end I think he had a steal and a block on Harden but overall you know he got to where he wanted too too often and, and James Harden is one of the best players in this league one of the best players of the decade and if you give him open looks and you know you give him room for the step back and you you give him three-point fouls you know you you play into his hands in the Houston Rockets hands yeah, 100%. And it's not like Garrett Temple's an elite defender, especially on ball, you know, against one of the best players in the NBA, maybe arguably one of the best scorers of all time. And like asking him to go one-on-one early in the game, even asking TLC to do it a little bit in that first quarter before adjusting, I think that was just a bad move by Kenny. And, you know, obviously he learned from it. He adjusted later in the game. But where do you want to go next? Um, Nick, I want to ask you a question. Who do you think played better tonight out of the two bigs and Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan? Ah, this is tough. I think they both had their moments and they both also had bad moments. I think DeAndre was a little bit frustrating because he was coming out a lot and nobody was kind of covering him in terms of the rebound, something that typically happens to Jared Allen. I don't think there was a big factor in this game. I know a lot of people want to see DeAndre out there later in the game, but I think Kenny had to go with Jared Allen because he has the mobility to get out on a, you know, a three-point shooter. Yeah, and especially when you're playing you know, a blitzing sort of scheme and then you have to be able to move laterally and then sort of get out to shooters while also being able to move back. DeAndre Jordan just doesn't have that mobility. He doesn't have that lateral quickness in any sense of the imagination to be able to, to move up and forward and back backwards, left and right. Uh, I don't think that there was much margin between them. I, I think if we're looking at Jared Allen, you know, those two blocks on, on James Harden were pretty good. Uh, I thought that he could have shown a bit more physicality, especially when the Rockets did decide to go small. Yes, PJ Tucker is one of the uh, best sort of small ball fives in the league, but you know you got a couple of inches on him, Jared. You know I would have liked to see him get five plus offensive rebounds, and then yeah, DeAndre Jordan at times. You know, I think he gave away another defensive three second, which is always just really really frustrating. But his activity on the boards I thought was a little bit better. But Jared Allen overall on the defensive side of the ball was probably better. So I guess you could probably toss the coin with these two. Yeah, I think Jared had a little bit more of an offensive impact because he was quicker on those rolls, getting to the rim on the oops, where DeAndre was a little bit slower and it was easier for P.J. Tucker, whoever on Houston, to kind of just disrupt them a little bit. But I didn't think either guy was like so much better than the other. No, I, I didn't think so either. I just thought that they could have had more of an impact, especially when you're going up against Tyson Chandler and Isaiah Hartenstein. That's really an impact. Like, I'm pretty sure at last season, Jared Allen had a 2020 game against these Houston Rockets when I think Clint Capella was out again uh, in that matchup as well. 
Yeah, he had a really big first quarter. And I think some of that, too, is like teams aren't respecting the Nets three-point shooters as much, especially Garrett Temple, who's on a kind of a slump right now. Torian Prince has been slumping. He picked it up tonight. The only guy they really have to truly worry about on a 100% basis is Joe Harris. Yeah, and Joe still was 2 of 5 tonight. It was nice to see Torian Prince hit his shots early. I think... One thing, despite the fact that, you know, the Nets did go down by 22 after the first quarter, for the first sort of, you know, it was 13 to 12 and the Nets were looking okay and and Spencer was looking to get Prince and Harris involved and both of them were feeling it. And I think that's when, you know, we've talked about in probably much more in early season games and probably more recently when Kyrie was probably still with us because we know he can get his own and we want him to get the others involved. And I think Spencer, I guess, is probably starting to realize that a little bit too. He was actively looking for Torian Prince and, you know, he ended up four of eight from the field, was starting to hit those shots a little bit more. Still had some lapses uh, a little bit here and there, was rebounding okay, did, you know, had some nice passes. I thought that he got back to some good form and I like the fact that he was chatting a little bit to, to Russell Westbrook at the end. I like to show that this team shows a little bit of aggression, a little bit of fight, even though it's it's it doesn't really matter when the game you know is already uh, lost yeah I think you appreciate the toughness especially with the bump and just scoring at the end of the game you know something you don't typically do at least somebody stepping up you know you like to see that a little bit more in Torian Prince's play you know a little bit more physicality in the way he plays I think it adds some success to his game yeah and I mean uh, what are you going to do nothing to, to Westbrook he didn't uh, I mean the one thing that's most frustrating thing Nick in general uh, I, I was lucky enough to be at the first game when the Nets did take down the Brooklyn um, did take down the Houston Rockets and it was essentially just the Houston Rockets missed their shots and that's what why the Nets won but they have two of the more frustrating players to watch in this league personality wise and you know individual skill set wise I respect the hell out of James Harden but he's just a, a bit of a bore to watch at times some of his shots can be you know a, a bit dazzling and some of his his handles and passes can be good at times and Russell Westbrook is just one of the more grating opponents, uh, opponent players in the league. He can just be, he is a, a roller coaster, roller coaster ride for his own teams. I can't imagine what he is for whenever you know opponents are watching him. It's just, it sucks because you want to beat these sort of teams. You know, I know you want to, you want to beat the Knicks obviously as well. You know, I, I would have expected the Nets to to keep this one close, but it was a a weird game as you called it. It was a roller coaster game, but at the end of the day, you know, that they had the last laugh. They got the W. Yeah, they did. And, you know, like the Nets actually, you know, they just missed more shots than the Rockets. Like the Rockets shot 43% from the field, 31% from three. You know, that's probably good enough to beat them on a regular basis. They're also terrible from the free throw line. It's just this offensive struggle the Nets are going through. You know, it's been this game. It's been the Knicks game, even the Hawks game, back to the Pelicans game. Just getting even the Spurs game, too. Like the offense is just not rolling, Jack. Do you think it's just missing shots, guys being a little tired? What do you think the biggest issue is for the offense right now? Because it's not running smoothly, especially compared to what we saw in that winning streak just a month ago. I don't think the Nets, I think one, it is the opponents. One, it is also just the general offensive talent that the Nets have right now. If we're talking about our starters, Torian Prince, above average offensively. Jared Allen is probably average offensively. Spencer Dimony, above average offensively. Garrett Temple, average, maybe below average. Joe Harris, above average offensively. And then all of our second unit is essentially below average offensively. Maybe DeAndre Jordan, if you want to give him a pass. And then occasionally one of our guys off the bench you know, can have a bit of a spurt, and Theo was lucky enough to do that tonight. But the Nets don't have good offensive players, Nick. When you know, at the start of the season, we were talking about a top five, top seven, you know, offensive team with Karis LeVert healthy, with Kyrie Irving healthy. The offense is humming because you just have so many offensively talented players. But then the defense is lacking, and now the defensive identity is sort of there. It still has its lapses and its moments every now and then. 
But at the end of the day, I think it's more, uh, it's about health and having, you know, NBA ready bodies that actually can produce on the offensive end. Do you think the players that are playing right now are a little bit fatigued or they're just kind of getting back to the mean? Um, well, like Garrett Temple, we speak about him, you know, night on night after the occasions. He only played 28 minutes tonight, so I don't know. No, he, I don't think he necessarily has a reason to be gassed. You know, yes, obviously in the past he's playing, you know, lengthy minutes. I don't think it's an excuse, especially because we had, you know, the, the extended Christmas break. Now, obviously, is when you sort of want to be be ready to go. I think you know you can. Uh, expect maybe a lapse of some sort when you're heading on, on a road trip. But I think that the guys, after the way we played, you know, as Spencer Dimity would describe it, really, really bad, then you're gonna <laughs> then you're gonna have to really bounce back in the first quarter. And they didn't and they were just in a hole. So I think you can say that they are Nick to an extent, but I don't think it's an excuse to uh, not play winning basketball and not hit open shots and, and the rest. I think the the Rockets defense has improved as well since we did last meet them uh, much earlier in the season. Yeah, it definitely did substantially because they were looking like possibly one historically bad defense. But yep. I agree with you, Jack, that I think it's just a talent. You know, you Kenny got the most out of these guys. He kind of peaked them during that winning streak. And like you mentioned, they played some bad opponents. Right now, it's kind of like he's gotten the most out of them. There's just not enough talent there in certain games. Like a game against Houston with two All-Stars out there or whatever you want to say Russell Westbrook is at this point in his career, they just don't have that offensive juice, especially when you lose an offensive player like Kyrie. You know, we're talking about one of the best offensive players in the game. And then a guy, Karis LeVert, who possibly could average 20 a game. It just hurts your offense so much because you just lack the creators. You have Dinwiddie, and then after that, it's questionable who can create for themselves or create for others. And I think that's the real problem. Right now, teams know that they just have to force a ball out of Dinwiddie's hands and get a couple good closeouts, and they might have a good defensive possession. Were you frustrated with Spencer Dinwiddie's free throw struggles tonight, Nick? I mean, it's frustrating anytime I think an NBA player misses free throws, but it's hard to be frustrated with Spencer because of the workload he's had and how yep. good he's been at the free throw line majority of the season. I know he had, you know, missed five free throws against the Knicks, but his workload, it's hard for me to get mad at the percentages because I know how much he's facing on a regular basis in terms of the defense locking on him. And he's a good player. He's possibly an all-star player like we've talked about. But anybody who's not surrounded by other playmakers is going to have a hard time on a regular regular basis unless you're a guy like James Harden. Yeah, the Nets don't actually have a shooting guard right now. Like, in, obviously, we have in terms of a pure shooting guard in Joe Harris, a guy that just shoots the ball. But in terms of like a sort of combo shooting guard, that you, what you sort of have in terms of like a CJ McCollum type, like even a, a Will Barton. A Will Barton, a, a, a Jamal Murray, and Gary Harris sort of type. These sort of guys that can handle the ball a little bit and, and create their own shot. I think Joe's gotten a little bit better at that. Torian Prince showed, I think, some nice flashes tonight, some nice drives um, that we've sort of seen from him in the past. Good to see him get back into a little bit of form. Still not his best um, game of the season uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, I think it's just about bodies, Nick. And, you know, I think what you said, you know, I, I've called I called Spencer Dillon a poor uh, three-point shooter, you know, when I was talking about the game tonight. I think that, you know, you said that in, in the Christmas episode that that's something you would gift him. If he had that he would be an absolute dynamo He's, he would be essentially not necessarily James Harden but the pull up three is such an important shot to have as, as a point guard in terms of you look at Damian Lilly, you look at Stephen Curry, you look at Trey Young you look at Kemba Walker, these guys are, are absolute offensive dynamos and nigh on unguardable Spencer Dimity is unguardable in, in lots of stretches because he can uh, attack like probably few point guards can in the league but he, when his three point shot isn't falling and it, it's inconsistent at best it just changes the, the whole dynamic of his offensive repertoire. 
especially because he doesn't have a mid range and he doesn't he's reluctant to go to his floater. So it's either drive or bust a lot of times when his three point shot isn't falling. And that makes it easier for the big, especially one who's just tall and not necessarily an amazing defender, to just get position and kind of perform verticality. And then it's up to Spencer to hit a tough layup. And I think in that sense, like you mentioned, Nick, he doesn't have the uh, the, the sort of mid-range game. He is essentially trying to play the way James Harden plays. He's trying yeah. to predicate his game on driving and, and, and hitting threes. The only difference is James Harden has a masterful floater, one of the best in the game. And, you know, he doesn't care if there's a big there. He's going to throw it over you. There was like probably two times he got caught tonight against and maybe once against DeAndre Jordan. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't stop him from continuing to go to that shot because he is. Oh, and I think that makes up for him not necessarily having any sort of mid-range game because, you know, Russell Westbrook has that in spades when he is on. But, yeah, I think that, you know, Spencer Dimon is a perfect player. He is playing all-star level basketball. But I want to ask you about the second unit. That run was uh, was inspired. Yeah, it was really good. But we do have to say their run in the first half wasn't as good. And some of that was the defense not making adjustments. But you got to give them props, especially in that third quarter where, you know, they had, the, I think the, they came into the game and the lead was probably at 18 for Houston. They got it down to nine going to that fourth quarter or whatever it was. Just a lot of hustle plays. And it was nice to see Theo Pinson have his, probably his best minutes of the season. Yeah, I put it out there that this was Theo Pinson's best Brooklyn Nets game. I might be a bit hyperbolic in that sense, and I'm not. And I, I got a. I think it was this of, year, but I think uh, there was a game I want to say against Boston last season where he really shined. Yeah, I, I think I, I might have just a short, uh, short, you know, memory um, in terms of just looking mainly at this season overall. But I understand that it wasn't perfect by any stretch, and he was taking, you know, a, a few too many three-point shots. And you know, sometimes uh, I think there was a comment on one of my tweets where it's just like he has to find that balance between control, energy, and, and everything that he can provide. And you know, when it all comes together, you know, he can make some some really masterful drives and. There was a, uh, one of the plays where he like split two defenders. It was something you would almost see Kyrie Irving do. And then, you know, he did hit a three as well. Obviously, he was only one of five from the field. But, you know, he was one of the few guys who were positive in the plus minus. And obviously, that was reflective in terms of, you know, the, the massive run that that allowed the Nets to really get back to, into that game. And that that clutch three-point shot from Rodion's courts. So I'm really happy with how he's been playing of late. I think he's playing a, a really good role as a really good role player off the bench. And I think some of the other guys aren't necessarily they're, they're either doing too much or not enough or trying to do too much. Whereas I think Rodion is, is starting to find his identity a little bit again. Yeah, I think the weird thing that Kenny's not doing that I think he should do is find ways to get Rodion's minutes with Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, and Jared Allen. Guys he played with last season, has some chemistry with, especially because he does bring in a bench player or two to play with the starters for a couple minutes. I like to see that guy be Rodion's because I like the way he's played, like you mentioned, Jack. I think he's provided a spark, and that'd be a great way to kind of get his confidence back. Because, you know, it's a small thing to us, but to a player, especially a young player like Rodion's, being the first or second guy off the bench could mean a lot. Yeah, I think comfort level and everything you're sort of saying, Nick, I think most of those guys that you mentioned are much better passes to cutters, and we know Rodion's is starting to do that in, in, in a little bit more. I really liked, you know, just, you know, he's just a pesky sort of player, and, you know, he provides things that don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet either, and I'm really, I'm, he's far from the, the, the version of the player that we saw last season where he was playing, you know, some big-time clutch minutes and showing some awesome defensive players with the likes of Blake Griffin, but, you know, 
this is, uh, I think we, we fail to remember that a lot of the time growth in this league is not linear. You know, you look at Jason Tatum, you look at Donovan Mitchell. These guys go through waves in terms of how they develop and find their footing in this league. I think Rodion Kuritz is starting to find himself. And one of the, as in terms of the guys off the bench, you know, he's proving himself to, uh, again, to be, you know, a rotation player within this book on that system. Maybe not in many other teams. And, and we'll see what happens when Karis Levert and Kyrie Irving get back. But, you know, I'm liking what I'm seeing from him. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with TLC. Obviously, still in that two-way contract. Do they turn him into a you know a regular NBA contract? Who's cut? You know who's let go? What'd you think of the game from Wilson Chandler? I thought that this was one of his better games. I think that the the three-point shot a lot of the time is short. I, I can always tell. I don't think Wilson Chandler has ever had a long three-point shot. And for me, that's either he's short-arming it or his follow-through. He seems to always lean back a little bit. And in that sort of sense, it's always like, okay, this is either going to be short or it's going to be a flush. And he's only hit two threes for the Nets this season. And he went one of three again tonight. So that was his second. And, and I thought that, you know, overall, I, I liked his physicality a little bit. I thought that he provided a, a good semblance of leadership and composure when the Nets were going on that run. He was just being able to, to make the right plays. Uh, I like one of the, the best offensive skills that he does have. And he doesn't have like an, a massive offensive skill set. He has a nice little floater sort of mid, paint game and in terms of he can use his physicality he doesn't necessarily have the quickness anymore but he's physical enough and he's crafty enough when he gets within about five to eight feet yeah his ability to drive it's not finished at the rim he's able to kind of get into a spin move where he can hit that floater or just kind of pause right there i like that in between game and i there was a play where he had drove on harnstein and he got to the got a floater whatever it was but he attacked a big and it's just something you like to see because so many of the bench unit guys just can't really attack or take advantage of a mismatch you know like you said wilson chandler hasn't looked amazing but i think we saw maybe a one or two positive things in this game yeah and i mean i think some people uh, from the Sixers beat last year was saying that, you know, he, he's washed. But, you know, I'm not necessarily... I think that we, we as just proportions... We have lower and, expectations uh, for him too. I think we do. And I think as well, you know, we get hyperbolic with our takes and we, we based off one-game performances. Everyone was saying DeAndre Jordan was washed coming to this season. You know, he has had some washed moments in terms of how he's played uh, in certain instances, in certain quarters and in certain games. But he is far from that. He's a really good backup big for this Brooklyn Nets team, especially. But yeah, I, I like what I saw from the bench, Nick. You know, I think that uh, for a lot of the game in terms of, you know, the only positive plus minus guys, and I think that it's obviously reflective in terms of when we went on the run, were the guys off the bench. Rodion Kuritz was plus nine. John Joe Jordan was plus 14. The Pinson was plus nine. And TLC was plus two. Yeah, and I think one thing with the bench is, you know, you've kind of mentioned they're not a great offensive bunch. The way that they're going to have good minutes out there is playing defense and those hustle plays and get it going in transition. That's what we saw in that third quarter, early fourth quarter. So hopefully they can build off of this, but it's going to be an offensive struggle when you're running with this group regardless moving forward. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, wait and see and, and you know, prayers up a, a lot of the time with that, <laughs> with that unit, Nick. You know, there's not a lot of offensive talent. You know, I think TLC is rounding into some nice form. He seems to be a guy that's averaging the most minutes. You know, he came, he was one of the first guys off the bench against tonight. I wouldn't be surprised. I know Nets Daily put this out if he's not converted. You know, David Nwaba, unfortunately, does probably get cut or waived. And then TLC, you know, gets converted uh, onto the roster and the Nets add another two-way guy or convert one of their G-leaguers. It'll be... Interesting to sort of see, but, you know, he's certainly playing well enough within the Brooklyn Nets organization to certainly earn an NBA contract. 
Well, I think the nice thing about TLC is his play will probably improve when a guy like Kyrie and Karis LeVert come back because it just takes a little bit of load off of him and he's getting things created for him where that second unit really lacks that creator right now. So I think a lot of the guys in that bench unit will play better, you know, whether it's playing with Spencer Dinwiddie or Karis LeVert or even Kyrie Irving for certain minutes. What did you think of his defense tonight on James Harden? I liked it. I, I thought TLC did a really good job for an inexperienced NBA defender. You know, obviously he's logged some games, but you don't have a ton of experience going up against James Harden. I thought he did a solid job. I liked the way he picked him up the entire court. There was obviously a couple of possessions where he just doesn't have the physical strength to deal with a forearm or a shoulder from Harden, but he did the best he could with his ability. Yeah, I, I thought that he, you have to show energy, make things a little bit comfortable. I know James Harden can be quite physical, and you know there might have been some times where you know he was throwing some elbows here and there that you know Spencer Dinwiddie has got called for in the past in terms of offensive fouls. I like the effort that he showed, and I think that, like we spoke about in terms of the second unit, I think that they defended you know for the most part probably better on the, on the superstar than a lot of the guys in our first unit. Yeah, they were just more engaged. I thought their energy was better defensively. We're just all, uh, defensively for that first unit, especially to even start that game in the first quarter. It was just rough. They just did not look like they have that energy that they were playing in, you know, last month or even earlier this month. They just lost some of their juice. Yeah, uh, I think that that's it there at the end of the day, Nick. But was there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we get to, again, we have to end with uh, the, the Karras updates and the Kyrie updates, and, and hopefully, you know, we might see Karras uh, back against Minnesota. No, nothing on this game. I think, you know, it just becomes more evident and evident after every game that the Nets need Kyrie Irving or Karis Avert back. You know, even just one of these guys obviously is going to give a big boost because of the guys they have to play in their place. Nick, so I will get to Karis first. Uh, he was, uh, Coach Kenny was asked about it. And Brian Lewis asked a really good question uh, about the fact that, you know, Minis the Minnesota game that is upcoming is also where Karis Avert had that really uh, gruesome foot injury. And he responded, I haven't even thought about that. I'll think about it now. Fair question, something we'll have to consider. I don't think it, personally, I don't think it's, you know, before you chime in, mate, I, I don't think it's any anything that Karis is going to worry about or Kenny's going to worry about. But I thought it was a really thoughtful question uh, from Brian Lewis in the first place. Yeah, I think it was a great question. It's something he'll think about going to the game, but I don't think it'll impact him. If anything, I think it gives him a little bit more motivation. Like, look where I'm at. You know, if you asked me on that day when that happened, I didn't even know if I'd be playing basketball right now. You know, he thought he'd maybe still be rehabbing, but he's back on the court. And yeah, he was out a couple games, but he wants to take advantage of the minutes he actually can play. So maybe it's just an extra boost for him. He'll probably be on a minute restriction, but still. So you think he's back against Minnie? I hope so. It would only make sense because I told you I'll be traveling on Monday. I'm going to be able to watch the game most likely, but it's going to be like one of those in and out things. So I won't get to fully enjoy it. So I think he'll be back Monday. I and think the Nets are, desperately need him. Oh, the Nets desperately need him. I think we've said that maybe for the past 10, 15 podcasts. But in that sort of sense, Nick, you mentioned the minutes restriction. Uh, just give me a number of what you think Kenny will probably limit him to and the medical staff limit him to. Probably 24 if I had a guess. I don't think it's going to be a really hard minute restriction because, like I mentioned, he's still been able to probably do some running. Probably with the incision because he did have surgery, they had to wait to that healed because you don't want to get an infection. But I would think that he's probably been conditioning the last week, doing contact, I think, over the last couple of practices. So I think he'd be pretty good to go, but you don't want to you know, risk anything in terms of the finger or just making sure he's getting back into the flow of things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just scrolling a little bit on Twitter, Nick, and you know, a guy that popped into my mind, a guy that popped into my timeline is uh, Nicholas Claxton, and he was asked by uh, the Athletics' Alex Schiffer uh, about his return, and he said that he is progressing, continuing to build his strength back uh, from that foot injury. I think Nicholas Claxton, I, I think we almost forget, like, you know, 
in terms of just having another body out there, Nicholas Claxton has the talent to play NBA basketball and could have helped over the, some of these runs that we have had where we have struggled. Yeah, I mean, there's a real possibility he could have given you at least a little boost of energy, you know, if that at the very least. And, you know, he hasn't shown that three-point shot, but he's shown an ability to drive a little bit, hit a couple shots, rebound. So I think maybe there could have been an opportunity for him. But at the end of the day, I don't think it would have been a difference factor in terms of the offensive struggles. Yeah, exactly. So um, we'll have to wait and see about that. But I guess we, we should get to the Kyrie Irving update, Nick. And I want to give my just personal thought about it before I, I uh, read the quotes from, from Rick Buecher uh, of Bleach Reporter and, and plenty of other platforms too. I put it out on Twitter and I, I, I came I come from a perspective of having gone through you know some pretty serious mental health stuff. And for a person to broadcast that, if you don't know 100% the facts, it shows an incredible level of insensitivity and lack of humanity that it really does make me angry. I understand, you know, Jackie McMullen reporting about, you know, some things where Kyrie gets frustrated and quote-unquote mood swings, but to tie this to mental health and to only, if he is, does have, I'm not saying that he is, I'm, I'm literally just reporting what I've seen from, from other reporters then this is not going to make his progress and recovery and just management of the of the issue any easier. If anything, it puts more pressure on a guy like him. And I can understand, you know, I put out, you know, Kevin O'Connor talking about him as well the other day, which is, it's weird to hear it from a guy like him who is relatively well measured, but it's just frustrating because I think we're just, uh, we spoke about it before and I'm going to come down to probably an opinion that I've given before. We forget that these guys are human beings. And, and I think I said this after Kyrie came out on, on the Instagram post following the Boston game. We just forget. And I think he said that as well. Like we need to treat these people that the fact that they have thoughts, feelings, wants and desires and needs, but we're just treating them as, as an athlete that just goes out on the basketball court for our entertainment like they're some animal. Yeah, it's getting ridiculous to the point, and especially Rick Bucher, you know, obviously he's a questionable reporter as it is based off of the reports he's had this summer or the past couple of years, whatever it may be. This would be something you wouldn't report unless you were 100% confident. But from a guy like him, I think it's a questionable thing. You don't want to report it in the first place. This is something maybe the team should address. It's just not an area you want to get into, especially if you're just literally spreading a rumor. It's not like there's anything to confirm this or back it up. I mean, the whole Kyrie thing, it's just weird to the extent, like, why can he not have a shoulder injury? Is that just not a thing? I mean, he's missed a ton of games over the last five seasons for a reason. You know, we hate to say it, but he's, you know, he's a little injury prone and he has a tough time staying on the court. And that's been the issue. Most likely it's a physical thing. If it is a mental thing, honestly, it's none of our business. No, it is. And, uh, and I think you, you make it perfectly clear right there, Nick. And I think what you said about just the injury, just isolating to the injury before I get to the quotes and I uh, get, I guess, your, your feedback off what he said on uh, WFAN Radio or whatever the platform that he did speak on. The, the sense that we just... Kyrie Irving has a shoulder injury. You know, we do know that. We don't know anything about this mental health stuff, whatever. That's not about business, like you mentioned. But... People just keep the, a lot of Nets fans are just like, well, why are the Nets telling us more? Why do they, and I'm, I'm one like, well, one, it's not their job. They don't have to. Two, it's always been that way with the Nets. If you don't like it, you know, barrack for another basketball team that gives you all the news that you want to hear. And three, 
I don't think they 100% know what's going on. Kenny has mentioned that. He said shoulders are tricky. A shoulder impingement injury that we've been speaking about, you know, we, we, we liken it to, to Markel Fultz's injury and the mystery behind that. And then there's all these other rumors coming from other weird sources. I don't think that there is a one-size-fits-all to this thing. We know Karras is coming back soon. I think people haven't necessarily been complaining about the whole Karras Levert, the reporting of that injury, because... We know what's happening with him and we can understand it because it's an injury that makes sense in this recovery. Kyrie has had setbacks along the way. If you can't interpret that and if you can't understand that, then it just it speaks to you. It doesn't speak to the Nets organization and Kyrie Irving overall. Yeah, and I don't think the team, we've kind of touched on this obviously last couple seasons because they haven't given the updates. They don't have to, and they do it for a reason, too, not to put pressure on the player. You know, they're rehabbing, trying to get back on the court. You know, there's 99% chance that's where they want to be, out there competing and scoring and playing NBA basketball. Their careers don't last forever. So I think it's kind of just weird that people are questioning this on all different angles. And like you said, and we talked about in the last show, they probably don't know exactly what's wrong or how long it's going to take to heal regardless. So they could tell you the injury. They're still not going to give you a timetable because they don't actually know how long it's going to take to recover. Yeah, there are some injuries that you just can't pinpoint down to. You know, we know it's been already been about four to six weeks for for Karis Levert with his thumb injury, and that's about the timeline we expect. A shoulder impingement doesn't have a timeline because it is so vague in its in its in its detail. But I'll give you the quotes, Nick, and, and I'd like to hear, I guess, your response from it. And he said, "I hate to buy into salacious rumors." But he does. I mean, in, in putting in a, 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 just the fact that he opens with that and then begins to keep speaking about it is just. I mean, Rick Buke is one of the worst reporters. In he's he's he makes Skip uh, Skip Bayless look like Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, but I'll keep going. Uh, but I've heard it from enough different places, and some of which I give credibility that there's a lot more going on with Kyrie than just physical issues that he's struggling. I think we remember the Instagram post after the Boston reception, or rather reaction. And so there's some things that he has to work out. I don't know psychologically, mentally, however. You want to determine it but my understanding is that there's more going on here than just physical issues and where that stands and where he's going to get that taken care of i don't know but there are some troubling signs that i've been told that there's more than just physical ailments that he's dealing with uh i mean it's exactly what you kind of would expect from him and obviously it's just a whole bunch of nothing really because he's very vague and he's just like there's rumors or there's troubled things that could possibly come out. I don't think we've really seen anything. seems like he's pretty happy. The Nets are usually pretty good at not letting anything get leaked in the first place. So I think you take all this with a grain of salt, whatever it is. You know, it's just kind of annoying. It just sucks because he's not on the court because at least we could be talking about that. And now all the stuff we're talking about, Kyrie, is just off the court injury, mental health. Like, we'd rather talk about the basketball stuff. And it's weird because one thing – we don't see reporters speak about you know mental health issues in terms of when Kevin Love had that panic attack. You know they didn't obviously didn't know the details, and the Cleveland Cavaliers organization were able to you know keep it in house. Whether there is some weird source or a friend of a friend of a friend of Kyrie Irving's that is somehow speaking to Rick Buecher, Rick Buecher, the guy who also said Kevin Durant going to the New York Knicks is 100% done. You know, the, in terms of believing what he's saying, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly uh, believe who I want to believe and, and trust who I want to trust within the Nets organization. Again, mental health is such a deeply complex issue. To trivialize it in such a way and to literally say, I'm not going to buy into these rumors, but to then literally buy into them and then fuel the fire and pour gasoline on it and pour another bottle on it and another bottle on it, it just speaks to the character of Rick Buecher as a reporter and I'm going to attack his manhood and as a man, as a person.
Damn, Jack taking shots. But you're right. You know, you just don't say that type of thing. I just don't think it's necessary. Obviously, you're just probably looking for some type of clout. Who does like, it benefit, Nick? Who does it benefit? Like, honestly, like, I know that, like... And, Rick and I Buecher get, getting like, clicks and getting his name out there, I think that's probably the end goal, I think, for a lot of reporters is to be relevant. And this is a way for him to be relevant. And I think maybe he believes it to some extent, but not fully. And he knows that that Kyrie drama is a hot topic right now. I guess I could probably get a little bit defensive and a little bit, you know, probably more aggressive in this because it's something that I have gone through personally. And like, if I had someone invading that space that made me sort of feel comfortable and safe and, and, and had people continue to broadcast it, I know how much harder it would have been for me to continue to get through that. But it's just, it's, it benefits no one. Like it literally benefits no one. And, and like you're sort of saying, Nick, in terms of like Rip Yuka getting those clicks or whatever, I remember hearing Adrian Wojnarowski, like when he's been interviewed just about his reporting style, and he says, you know, when he puts something out there, he has to be 110% confident with it because obviously he's one of the best known sports reporters probably of the past, you know, in our lifetime. So when he puts something out there, it has to be 100% right. But there are too many reporters now, fake reporters, faux reporters, clickbait reporters that are just putting stuff out there, like you said, for clicks, for fake notoriety. And those guys aren't going to last within this industry. And I think that that's frustrating as well because we have fans and bystanders buying into this BS. And it just, it takes away from good NBA reporting, good sports reporting, good journalistic integrity in general. Yeah, and there's just so many other factors to talk about that's that are more relevant. If you know, there's more reports on how the Nets are upset because Kyrie Irving is injured and missing so much time, and they'd like to see him on the floor. Or they're frustrated with the rehab. I think that's something that's more understandable to report. But you know, like I mentioned, it's just kind of frustrating and, and annoying to an extent talking about it. Hopefully, you know, it just kind of moves forward. And next year, we're talking more about the Nets on court play because KD and Kyrie will both be healthy. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think that Rick Buecher isn't necessarily, and a lot of other people who continue to just fuel rumors and continue to put it out there, aren't thinking about what their job is as a reporter and in terms of the platform that they've been given and how people you know, can be swayed by what people say who have tens of thousands of, of followers on Twitter and whatever. And I think that they need to take a, take a hard look at themselves in the mirror and go, okay, who is this going to benefit if I put this out there as a report and I start to say these sort of things? You know, who is... And I think that if you go, all right, well, it's just going to benefit me, it shows to the selfishness of who you are as a person, who you are as a reporter. And because we have so many great Nets reporters and, and media members that we already know and that I think you and I trust probably a lot more, it, it just sucks to see people sort of crowding into that BS. Like, you know, we've got Brian Lewis, Anthony Puccio, the guys at The Athletic, so many different people at the New York Post, the New York Daily News, reporting great and awesome things. And they're like almost, in terms of the Kyrie stuff, we barely see any stuff from them. They'll ask, how's Kyrie going? And it's just like, all right, well, then we don't necessarily know anything else. And whereas it's always these outside influences from these national clickbaity, cloudy BS reporters that try to hone in and, and try and you know cloud what is a, a really good organization with really great media members and, and such great reporters that you know I think that the Nets are, are, are top notch in that regard. But you know we got to keep those those BS guys out of here. Yeah, I mean, it's such a crowded media space that guys are just constantly looking for attention. And sometimes that's creating a rumor, clickbait, whatever it may be. But, 
Jack, I think that wraps it up for tonight. And I think that's a good thought to kind of leave on. Hopefully, like we mentioned, next time we do a show, we're talking about somebody returning from injury, and that's Karis LeVert. But as always, a pleasure and big thanks to everyone. And you find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, that's pro.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.